0: Welcome to Organic Sexuality, where we explore the restoration of pleasure, the reclamation of sexual sovereignty, and the realization of our embodied sexual nature. An invitation to honor the pleasures of your body by embodying the pleasures of your nature. I'm your host, Rahi Chan. I'm a certified somatic sex educator, a sexological body worker. And creator of somatic sexual wholeness. In this first episode, we explore the arc line of touch with Dr. Aileen Lapierre. How do the initial touch imprints of our first breath, breastfeeding, diaper changing, self-pleasuring, and adolescent sexuality blossoming all influence our later adult sexual and intimacy patterns with ourself and with others. At the end of the episode, Dr. LaPierre leads us through a somatic exercise for reintegrating disconnected parts of our embodiment. Enjoy. Today, I am really, really thrilled and honored to invite Dr. Aileen LaPierre um, to the podcast. Um, uh, a- there are so many things I can share about Aileen, but uh, on the kind of professional level, she is the director and founder of the uh, Neuroaffective Touch Institute, um, uh, where she teaches internationally um, a somatic modality that she developed called Neuroaffective Touch. Uh, she's also the co author of Healing Developmental Trauma. And I feel like neuroaffective touch is like a culmination of so many decades of your, um, experiences, uh, certainly as a practitioner, as a senior uh, teacher in the somatic arts. Um, and Aileen, I feel like it goes all the way back to, um, I feel like you're a movement artist and a visual artist and, uh, really a listener for how life force wants to emerge. And I feel like all of that is really expressed in neuroaffective touch. Um, so um, a little background uh, about Aileen is, um, yeah, she was a, um, an artist in Europe, as, and it's what brought her to Los Angeles. Um, and then she became really involved in uh, in Continuum, uh, which is a practice that Invites a listening for how the authentic body wants to move and express itself, um, and I love that you were so body, just so attuned with your body, uh, and then complemented that with your studies at Pacifica. Right. Um, mm-hmm. It's a thrill to have you here, Aileen. There's so much we can cover, but um, having taken the neuroaffective touch training. And, um, you know, I loved how clearly, um, I came to understand the developmental journey of one's nervous system and sense of safety and embodiment and all of what that offers. I would love to start off by asking you if you can share the arc line of our developmental journey as embodied beings and as, in, as embodied sexual beings and how that develops from really from, uh, from the very beginning.
1: Right, right, from the very beginning. And this is the piece that I think is so important for us to understand. Um, you know, when, psych, when psychotherapy, when psychoanalysis started, Freud was talking about the sexuality of children. And of course, it created this uproar and, and, and this, this absolute sort of black mark on psychoanalysis. But actually, here's from the body's perspective, there's something really important that happens in that from the moment we're conceived, the body um, develops through pleasure. In other words, mm. through feeling safe and there's a really deep link between feeling safe and the body being able to go into an expansive state that actually is very important when we come later on to our mature sexuality mm. because sexuality is about sensation in expansion in the body
0: mm. yes so- it it reminds me of the um the organic pulsation Um, Of the protoplasm uh, from our training, that we are really uh, organically expanding. uh, We're pulsing our organic pulsation, and that happens from our from when we're in the womb. And the pleasure you speak of, it reminds me of um, images and uh, articles I've read about. um, uh, You can see a fetus holding on to its genitalia often. And that pleasure in the womb, I'm just imagining, it must be so, um, you know, orgasmic, not in a sexual sense, but in a life force, joy and safety sense.
1: Right. In a full breath sense. So here's the thing. Touch is really important in sexuality. You know, we make connection very much through touch Hmm. and touch develops is the first sense that develops in the wombs. At week six of gestation. So from, and it's called, of course, the mother of the senses because it is the first sense to develop. So it goes really deep to the root of our nervous system, mm. how we're touched. And of course, in the womb, we're floating in the amniotic fluid and the skin. There's some little cilia all over the skin that stimulates the skin. Mm. And so then from the beginning, this sense of being connected through touch is mm-hmm. really important
0: yes yeah and i remember um in our neurofective touch training how the image of the way the fetus is usually positioned in the womb with its entire backside against the belly of the mother um, right. just feeling that connection through those touch senses
1: right right and you know like with a partner how wonderful it is to spoon mm. you know which is basically recreating that full contact of the spine and the back to the belly of our partner and how soothing that is to the nervous system and how it does uh, communicate a sense of being loved, accepted, a Mm -hmm. sense of being safe, of being enveloped that really allows the whole body to relax and open to the connection with the other.
0: Yes, yes. And you know, I'm imagining in the womb, when our senses are so alive and pure, even the reverberation of the mother's heartbeat, and the breathing and the sound of her voice, um, the way it's vibrating against our touch, touch senses is a form of touch in it in and of itself.
1: It definitely is. Absolutely. And also this sense of floating, you know, we're in a we're, we're in a, a liquid medium, the, the amniotic fluid, so we are floating as well as being touched. And that feeling of floating, of becoming really light and outside of gravity, is also very core to that sense of, um, of well-being and that sense of deep, deep connection.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, I don't want to go on too many tangents here, but it reminds me of a, of a Watsu sessions that I received up at Harbin where they um, warm the temperature of the pool to your body temperature and you are floating and it does. I mean, it's astounding what memories and what kind of lucid uh, 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 dream space that can elicit. Um, So coming back to the arc. um, So from the womb, then there's, the 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 birth of the fetus of the infant
1: right and so at birth there's a compression at and we're talking about a healthy birth here we're yes. not talking about all of the things that can go awry and and that could be a different conversation but it's sure. nice first to set the arc of what happens when everything develops as it should mm-hmm so then through the birth, as we, as the baby goes through the birth canal, there's a compression that happens and that compression sends a signal into the body to awaken in a different way. It prepares us to be in the outside world. So then are all of our touch sensors through that compression awaken in a particular way. And I have seen it like in, you know, it, it, in, um, in in cesarean births, that there's a certain awakening of the skin that needs to happen, that mm-hmm. that might not happen through a cesarean birth. So so then our skin is then ready. And as the baby then um, comes into the world and is put on the mother's belly, then the relationship of the body is different because it's no longer being floating in an amniotic fluid. It's now coming skin to skin. Mm -hmm. And the skin has been awakened, and so the communication skin to skin begins.
0: Wow. Yes. Um, So the awakening, that, that birthing through the vaginal canal that Mm -hmm. compression of the skin, it is Mm -hmm. like waking up or engaging those, um, touch receptors in such a dynamic way that it wasn't used to, but it actually prepares it Mm
2: -hmm.
0: for the, um, kind of bonding and connection it, it, it can then experience as Mm a being out of the womb. And so once the infant is placed on the chest then it i mean i've read incredible i mean i've seen incredible it's just so intuitive how the baby knows where to go mm-hmm. in finding the mother's nipple
1: right right and and here's the the piece about giving time you know because as the baby lands on the mother's belly um, the cord will just slowly, you know, the the baby has to learn to breathe in the real world and not get its oxygen from the umbilical cord. So then that takes time. The body needs time to acclimate. And that feeling of I have enough time to to find my way, you know, is really important. because when the cut when the cord is cut too early, there's this sense of, I have to hurry up, I don't have enough time. And when the, the the transfer of the breath hasn't fully completed out of the cord into the lungs, there remains in the body an activation in the nervous system of never even, never being able to fully drop in because there's not gonna be enough time. And that sense of timing um is really important in sexuality mm. you know that to to give the body time to find its way into a full breath into a pulsation mm-hmm.
0: yeah i feel like it speaks to whether an introduction into life is it, whether there's there's space to allow the organic expression to unfold Yes. or whether there's an outer agenda imposed onto that organic expression. And that that in and of itself um, occurs in sexuality all the time. Is there the space for the organic life force to feel itself, to feel its authentic movement and initiation, or is there an outer agenda?
1: That's beautifully said,
0: Rahi. <laughs> Wonder- mm.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, and so you can see that as we look at those early experiences that imprint the foundation of, of life force, of what life can be like on the planet, right there at the, the very foundation of our nervous system. And from there, everything builds. Before it is cut, the baby doesn't even flinch. There's mm. like, it's it's done, you know,
2: mm-hmm. the,
1: and then after a little while, this is the most amazing thing for anyone who's observed, you know, a, a, a natural birth, you see the lips begin to have this little movement, like a little, just a, a little sucking. And, and it happens spontaneously. And that, as that happens in the baby, in other words, how that, that sucking movement begins to awaken then the baby begins to find its way and look for the nipple. Mm -hmm. And so then there's a there's a desire that awakens Mm -hmm. in the lips for connection for the nipple and that begins to awaken the whole lip area the mm-hmm. mouth and 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 actually the digestive system mm-hmm. and and bring pleasure because as the baby finds the way to the nipple connects to the nipple and begins that sucking motion, the body, the body feels pleasure. It's pleasurable because that's what's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And so it awakens the mouth and you can see how that later leads on to a pleasure at stimulating lips with kissing, with having that play around the mouth.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Um, And at that at at that stage of of an infant's development, uh, it's a whole body pleasure. It is it is inst- it is instigated by this the the nerve endings and the lips and the mouth. But uh, I'm imagining the whole body is ecstatic and being satisfied.
1: Right, and and where it leads to then is that as the baby suckles, the warm milk comes in and awakens the whole digestive tract. Hmm. So it awakens that the, the, the belly, the stomach, that whole well-being that can then happen in the gut, mm-hmm. which is actually the first station of the vagal system. If we go deeper into the nervous system, and we talk a lot about the, 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 the vagal system, mm-hmm. it begins an awakening of the dorsal vagal in, in the gut area. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And in the gut area and all the way down into the pelvic floor, Mm -hmm. because that sucking motion has a resonance in the pelvic floor, in all of the diaphragms of the body.
0: Yes. Yes. um, I was speaking to a colleague who really focuses on the throat-pelvic connection and how they're really interconnected, and it starts from that very beginning.
1: Right. Right.
0: So then, um, Aileen, continuing on the or on, on a healthy developmental arc um, with a, an infant's touch receptors, um, you know, in the chapter that you shared with me, touch and sexual healing, I really loved some of the somatic exercises where in order to restore touch receptors that may have uh, not developed organically... You are inviting that unconditional presence and attention, the intention and the focused attention um, these are these are what nourishes it's like watering the plant of the touch receptors in an infant
1: yes yes right yes
0: and so in in an infancy um the the role that that kind of touch and a variety and diversity of touch for the infant to um, start identifying its its felt sense as its felt self, as you share in the chapter, um, uh, really speaks to so much of not only our embodiment, but our, but our intuition, identifying our our body's likes and, and dislikes. It, it's really creating that that language of touch, the touch literacy that you speak of.
1: Right, right. You know, when when I work with couples and sometimes, you know, they'll come in going, well, you know, we're, we don't seem to be well-matched sexually. Um, one of the first questions I asked is, do you like how your partner touches you? And usually there's sort of a, a silence and a bit of embarrassment And both parties will say, no, Mm. you know, it's too too much, it's not enough, it's too fast, it's too slow, there's not attention. There's like a lot of issues that come up around how we're touched. Mm. And the fact is that we have so many different sensors in our skin. Some are surface sensors, some response to deep sensors, some response to fast touch, others other sensors like slow touch, and all of us have our preferences in terms of which touch receptors we like to be stimulated. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so it's important to know how our partner needs to be touched in terms of what receptors are responsive or what receptors that person prefers to have stimulated.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: very often couples don't know that there's so much exploration there in terms of feeling met, in terms of feeling loved, attuned to, and aroused,
0: Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're moving into the restoration now, which is perfect. Um, you know, the somatic exercises that you offer in the chapter, um, are really about it's it's kind of i mean kind of it's kind of like inviting couples or individuals to develop their inventory of yes. what touches they their body likes doesn't like responds to maybe wants to explore and mm-hmm. it's it it still surprises me how for a lot of them it's the first time they've kind of explored a touch inventory of themselves And so I can imagine with uh, couples how that can be just revelatory. Yes.
1: So to come back to that developmental arc, there's a really important piece that we didn't go to, which Mm. is the eyes, Mm. which is the gaze, Mm. which is so powerful. And so then as the baby settles to suckle, the mother holds the baby, and then they engage in the eye-to-eye contact. Mm. And so then this eye-to-eye contact now is connected to these, this deep pleasure of warm milk going into the gut, the feeling held, the stimulation of the skin having been awakened. And now they look at each other and the baby starts to see the mother's love. Mm that little glint in her eye and that awakens i think goes into you know the the vision centers in the back of the brain that starts to awaken the whole brain mm. and heart connection so that the brain then becomes involved in that sense of allowing pleasure through contact mm.
0: it's profound to me how the infant is experiencing the w- soothing warmth of the breast milk and the aliveness of the whole body with the um, bonding of the eyes of the mother.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and you know, you started to speak about when that glint may not be there or when the feeding experience is combined with um, you know, a preoccupied, uh, mother figure, um, or maybe a disconnected or disembodied who is Mm -hmm. not so present. Um, you know, I wondered Aileen, because that there's another experience that can mirror a lot of people's adult sexual experiences where the body is actually being stimulated with sensation. Yes. Yet it is not met with an emotional receptivity or availability. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, yes. with with the presence of the eyes and the and the presence of the body. And then, you know, of course I, I wonder whether that wiring may also um associate the the infant's upregulated nervous system with pleasure uh mm-hmm. rather than a, a, a relaxed receptivity with pleasure, which can also mirror a lot of uh our adult experiences as well.
1: Right, right. Are, are you saying that we can have a, a physical stimulation, but it isn't accompanied in parallel with an emotional response?
0: Yes, yes, yes.
1: And, and, you know, the emotional response really happens very much in our organs. It's like our organs are the generator of the emotional response, which is the interoceptive sense of touch. Mm-hmm. And then the sensation is very much associated with the exteroceptive receptors, which are the receptors in the skin. Mm-hmm. And so we have, we have, um, Actually, we have three touch systems in the body, right? We have the exteroceptive, which is the, all of the receptors in the skin, the, the pressure, the warmth, the cold, all of that, that happens in the skin. Then we have receptors in our joints. That, that, uh, when, when those are stimulated, we get a sense of movement. And that's really important as well. And then we have what is called the interoceptive sensors, which are the sensors of the vagus nerve, which are the sensors in in the organs, in the belly, in the heart, through the throat and vocal cords, and then through the face, the eyes, the ears, the sense of smell, the sense of taste, all of that. So these three systems ideally work together for a full experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so you could see that when, when some part of it is missing, we kind of try to compensate, you know, because the body feels it, there's a missing part. So how do we fill in? How do we compensate for those missing parts? And oftentimes, we will put extra focus on on a particular aspect, whether it's, it's, it's a sound, whether it's a, 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 a more friction, sensation, something to make up for the missing parts.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what I'm hearing is uh, that when there, there may, when there is an absence of the emotional connection, which is the interoceptive, mm-hmm. a lot of mm-hmm. times that can result in the body kind of amping up the exteroceptive or whatever mm-hmm. is available. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really profound to recognize how, you know, when there is an alignment of those three receptors, there is a sense of wholeness and alignment and rightness. And uh, when there isn't how there is that disconnect with the inner, Mm -hmm. uh, the inner sense, despite what's happening on the outer.
1: Right. 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 And you will have um, some, some people, some individuals who need to come in to um, connection through the emotional because the sensory is a little bit dulled or was never um And so then if they're with a partner who has an opposite where they need the sensory stimulation before they can activate the emotional, you have different mismatches or different needs, and those needs need to be recognized for people to really come together.
0: Yes, yes, and yes, um, so that it's not necessarily a – mismatch of souls but a mismatch of receptors
1: well you yes
0: yes (laughs) it's a good
1: way of saying it yes
0: yeah and identifying i mean as you say the the assessment and the identification of that mismatch uh can Mm -hmm. lead to to uh, both people consciously realigning and making sure that both both uh receptor sets are really being addressed and met right Yes,
1: exactly, and so it's you know it's wonderful work for couples to do that those types of healing parts together you know to recognize them to identify them and for a partner to be interested in helping their 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 loved other to to really develop those missing pieces because in terms of restoration. Although the main window of development happens early on, we're still, we know now, very plastic, and so we can heal and we can reopen those those pathways.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what a exquisite opportunity of intimacy yes. for beloveds and couples to. Revisit these wounds that the partner may just be discovering or realizing for the first time themselves. Right, right, yeah.
1: And usually, when a partner is willing to do that, you know, there's there's a sense of, of of gratitude that. Awakens in the person like you really care about me, you really are willing to be with me where I need to be met. Mm-hmm. And the bot not only is there a an emotional wow, you really see me and you see what I need, but the body itself down to the cellular level feels gratitude.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, gratitude, and I'm guessing also a deeper, uh, it's almost like a, a window towards a deeper felt self for the receiver um, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, uh, that, and that trust will deepen the intimacy within the relationship.
2: Right.
0: Um, yeah. That's really, really profound. Um, right. I'm to, to, to continue with the arc. um Yes. So you know we 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 get to this really critical and interesting um, touch experience of uh genital contact outside the womb with diaper changes and you know eventually potty training right and yes. i I feel like it's a rich, rich um area and experience of of whether of of really kind of planting seeds for the infant's relationship with their genitalia.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So much happens there, yeah.
0: Um, I think this happened during the, uh, Aileen, do you remember at the um, infant therapy training with Charlotte Groom? Yes. There was a video shown of a uh, diaper changing Um, Mm -hmm. in a way that was not shaming, that was participatory, that was both present and really Mm -hmm. playful.
1: Right. Yes. Yes. And I mean, what can we say about it? You know, um, again, you know, what's so important in any exchange with the parent, with the caregiver, is this Feeling that the infant can trust that no, no pain will come, you know, or that the body, it's actually at very much on a body level at that point, that the body feels care for, that the eye contact is maintained, like in, in that exchange. And if I remember well in that exchange, the, the, the mother or whoever is the caregiver always talks to the baby, like, this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Um, and mm-hmm. what was striking about the whole relationship of the adult to the child is that even if the child didn't understand the actual meaning of words, still on some level, the child absolutely knew what was being told. So then, in terms of this diaper changing, we very rarely talk about it. You know, was it really? rough was the mother disgusted was um was the way that she cleaned the baby because of that disgust of the smell of the poop and all that mm-hmm. it's like and did the baby get that imp- that that message that yes. you know my genitals are not clean they're dirty i'm displeasing my mother and then you begin to have all of these subtle patternings that are about distancing from genitals, feeling badly or shamed about, you know, pooping or or wetting diapers or and, and then this sort of retraction and this very subtle constriction that starts to happen in the pelvic floor and in the genitals and the genital area. Yes. And and a splitting off like like I'm going to pretend like it doesn't exist because it really displeases my mother or my caregiver.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, in another interview, one of my guests shared that a, a Norwegian, um, a Norwegian study showed that by the time children are, I think, six or seven years old, there's already a fair amount of tension in the pelvic bowl. and you know, I, I just have to wonder like, what you know, the effect of that exactly to what you're saying, you know, is it, uh, uh, inconvenient? Does it seem inconvenient to the parent? Is it, are they, are they irritated to be able to have to do this again? Uh, you know, and I feel like, you know, when we're children, there's all this, you know, on the playground, there is a shaming of each other when it comes to peeing and pooing. And where is that learned? How is that learned?
1: Right, right, yes, yes, for sure. Or is a child left in a wet, in a wet, dirty diaper too long so that again, that that retraction, yes, where is it learned? And you know, so many parents were themselves shamed or not cared for, so it is it is passed down through the generations.
0: Absolutely, and this brings up like another fascinating topic uh, for me. I mean, I the degree to which our adult, um, unrecognized or unaddressed sexual issues get uh, passed down uh, with the interaction of the child or the infant's genitalia through through whether it's through potty training or or, or changing diapers. Um, right. Whether there's an aversion, whether there's a discomfort, um, a kind of contraction within the parent that the child probably feels right. when when those diapers or when there's potty training or when there's contact right. with that part of the body. Right.
1: Right, the pulling away. You know, when you said the word discomfort, you did this naturally. This pulling away, and we're talking about this pulling away, this dissociation from the area, so that it becomes, like you say, shameful or numb, or or somehow there's there's a message that says that allowing consciousness to be fully present in the genitalia. Is um, is going to be a source of pain
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and and a source of rejection.
0: Yes, I think okay. that's like really powerful.
1: Yeah, that that we you know when we ex- experience some form of rejection early on for the bodily functions of the pelvic bowl genitalia excretion that it's very hard to find one's way back and particularly that there's no real attention given to healing that you know as mm-hmm. practitioners well of course you you really are in a field where you can start bringing healing to coming back into the pelvic bowl the genitalia all of that but there have been there haven't been you know ways of doing that. The only, like in my own training, which was years ago, like in uh, in deep tissue, you know, you you would you would go into the area, but it was always in terms of, of 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 musculature of of allowing the connective tissue to to release. It was never this subtle relational emotional connection that was encouraged to come back. And I think that's what you're doing is this, like, how do we bring back this loving, caring, relational approach into the lower body, into the genitalia, into the pelvic floor?
0: Mm -hmm. Well, honestly, Aileen, I feel like, you know, neuroaffective touch does this brilliantly in creating that dialogue between mind and body and inviting a listening for the body to tell its story, oftentimes, you know, stories that have been buried in this in the cellular tissues for decades. You know, I sometimes refer to the work I do as neuroaffective touch for the genitalia.
1: Beautiful. Yeah, it, it's the yes. same
0: principle. It is the yeah. same principle, like all the tissues and musculature of our body hold stories. Yes. And they In order to reestablish that intimate relational dynamic between body and body owner, those stories, the trauma especially, the disconnect needs the the reparation and, you know, the genitalia deserves it as much as any other part of the body.
1: Oh, for sure. You know, for some reason, this hierarchy has been created, you know. Where, where, where brain is at the top of the hierarchy and, and genitalia is, is sort of, I don't know, it's sort of Mm
0: -hmm. kind of like absent or ignored (laughs) or
1: or worse. It's like it's bad. It's dirty. It's shameful. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's sort of been sent to hell in a way. And, and that needs to change because really, as far as the body is concerned, there is no hierarchy. Any, any place where the body breaks down affects the whole body, no matter what, what cell, what organ, what system, there is no hierarchy in the health of the body.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, so trigger warning because, um, when it comes to that kind of disconnect, um, Mm -hmm. I really wonder the effect of circumcision on on young boys, oh. because here, I mean, sometimes straight out of the womb, straight out of this incredible communion, right. um, a, an area of the body that's innervated in a particular way. So that's there's so much sensation right. and it's introduced with, um, you know, to this incredible uh, pain and mutilation.
1: Oh, it is a mutilation. It's barbaric. Mm-hmm. For sure. It is barbaric without an aesthetics, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And yes. I think there's been enough studies now to show that there is no medical advantage um, to being circumcised. I think that's finally come out now. Um, yes. But there's so, you know, I really wonder what that does to an infant's relationship with that, you know, intimate part of their body. Um, And, you know, kind of on another level, um, whether there is a sense of distrust or feelings of betrayal to the caretakers to allow this kind of um, experience to take place, or if the infant is too young to really register that.
1: You're never too young to register. And, you know, that's the important thing to remember is that even if the cortex is not yet online, the body is every cell is and it is it it it's a it's an it's it's a horrendous betrayal and it's not just you know we we're not talking very much about energy right now we've been talking about the physical but but it's a breach in the energetic field and so yeah. I don't even sometimes I don't even know how to talk about the energetic field without sounding, you know, yeah, way out yeah. there. Right. But but ultimately there, there's a pulse and there's an electromagnetic field in the body that can be measured. And when there's a breach in that field, something that there's a vulnerability that that remains. It's almost like The field is a protective field and when you betray or when there's there's a breach it remains open and so we have particular vulnerabilities as a result of these betrayals it's also my sense you know i talk a lot about the shock to the heart Mm -hmm. that anytime there's a relational betrayal which this is because that baby was not did not give permission for this to happen, you know anytime even on a on on a cellular level, even without saying yes, you know that that lack of permission comes in as a shock to the heart, like what like on the heart level because the heart tracks the the caring loving respectful relation relational aspect of of so when there's a betrayal it's a shock to the heart and so not only is there a physical numbing you know but there's also already a signal to the heart to not trust Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know to not trust and this is where um i forget her name that um charlotte charlotte this is where Mm -hmm. charlotte was so brilliant is that she would talk to the betrayal so that the child you know could could say this is why this happened and and um so that the child could could sort of come back out of that shock of the betrayal
0: yes yes
1: because every betrayal no matter on what level physical is is um causes a numbing and a shutdown. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I agree that that, I mean, that is brilliant, Charlotte's work, uh, infant therapy. Um, The acknowledgement and the ownership, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like the adult's taking ownership and Mm -hmm. that somehow creates a relief in the psyche of the child
1: it does like for example for this piece of circumcision i don't know i would imagine like we could say you know this happened to you you know your your penis was really was cut and it was painful your parents didn't do it because they didn't love you they did it because they didn't know any better, and the doctor said that. But, you know, they're very sorry that it hurt you. and So there's an acknowledgment, and there's a putting it in a context so that the child can let go of that feeling of, of betrayal.
0: Yes, yes, you know? yes.
1: And you can see when that story is told, you can see the child actually relax. And you can see the eyes connect a little bit more, and it, it's it's it was it's an amazing thing that mm-hmm. you know telling the story, but acknowledging you know, and particularly this piece of acknowledging, it's not that your parents didn't love you, it's that this was the the norm then, and the doctors said you should they should do it, and they wanted the best for you, but without knowing it, they hurt
0: you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm just feeling how that how restorative that is to the heart contraction. You know that you alluded to earlier. How the the, the, mm-hmm. the shock is not only to the nerve physical sense, but really the heart contraction and sense of trust, and how that can really right. uh relax that heart protection and guarding.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And you'll notice even as, as, as you feel that the heart starts to let go, there's a shift in the breath. Uh-huh. And the breath can come in a little more deeply and sort of come back into the diaphragm, back into the belly. And as the diaphragm relaxes, mm-hmm. as a result, the pelvic floor will follow. Because the respiratory diaphragm and the pelvic floor, all, you know, their number of diaphragms sort of start to move together again, which then will shift how, how we can reconnect with genitalia.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, Aileen, I've imagined like how uh, intimate and, and restorative this could be for, for couples uh, for the, for the partner to hold space for the adult man. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to tantra workshops where the men will separate and the women will separate and we will re we will go through, you know, th- they will simulate a circumcision kind of mm-hmm. ritual, but the response mm-hmm. to it will be different to reimprint a new story. But mm-hmm. to do that, where your beloved or your wife or your girlfriend is there to, um, really be supportive to the post circumcision experience with an intentional touch with you know their presence i think can be uh, right. could be remarkably healing
1: that's true and that's where couples can do healing that no practitioner ever can do because of the love because of the connection because of the involvement of the heart so to do that that healing with an intentional touch a very gentle holding touch helps reestablish the, um, the reestablish that that fullness of the energetic field and then yes. moves back through all the way into the tissues mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. yes yes um, so i want to continue on the arc line.
2: Sure. Again,
0: because sure. I feel like, I feel like in infancy, we we get to a place where, you know, uh, children discover how good uh, self-pleasuring is yes. and, um, you know, just so innocently and so beautifully. And the, I mean, in my intakes, I always, it's so many stories of people being caught and the response of being caught by a parent, it can range from like, you know, uh, uh, I've heard of a parent like excusing themselves, you know, just to give the child some privacy and, Mm -hmm. you know, in a way really honoring, you know, that relationship with the body, you know, obviously all the way over to not only shaming, but punishment, um, you know, uh, and fear of damnation and going to hell and all of that. And the incredible, uh, imprint that that has, um, stemming from just an innocent exploration of one's, of one's body and what feels good.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. And particularly, I think there's a period, you know, between three, four years old, five years old, where sexuality awakens and, and then it goes dormant again until puberty. So I think you're probably, I don't know if you're talking about that period where, where it just awakens in the body and the child is receiving these amazing sensations, right? Mm-hmm. And and the body is learning to open and to, to move in a pulsation to allow the sensations to move through the whole body. Mm-hmm. And so, again, when a parent either discovers or shames the child – it, it sends a shock this time through the whole system.
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh.
1: And we know that, that what shock does is that it arrests that natural pulsation uh-huh. in a freeze response. You know, in this case, it's not about fight or flight, but it creates a freeze right there in that pleasure pulsation.
2: Uh-huh, uh-huh,
1: uh-huh. And then it becomes later on that, since it doesn't get addressed, that freeze in the pleasure pulsation um, leaves the person who is wanting to be sexual having to somehow always find a way through the freeze back to sensation. And it, then it's not that natural organic pulsation, but it's a way of how do I get back into myself?
0: Mm-hmm. Right, you know? right yeah yeah so that freeze response creates blocks um mm-hmm. you know both physiologically and emotionally psychologically um right yeah so when we do get to you know the the prepubescent or and and puberty stage i feel like it's another really ripe um uh stage in our development Because here we're, you know, our bodies are changing, um, Mm -hmm. our attractions to the, you know, our classmates are changing. Mm -hmm. And um, I think something that's not talked about so much is how our parents' behavior towards our sexuality changing can be either celebrated, given space for, or be met with such discomfort. Um, And a lot of times, like, you know, I've had clients who whose bodies develop, you know, early at 11 or 12, and their fathers don't know how to respond to their little girl or interact with them based on their based on their own discomfort or or unmet sexual needs.
1: Right. Yes. And and, you know, on this arc now, we're we're really following the arc of what happens inside a person's body. We haven't talked about what happens when there's abuse or sexual abuse and all of that. That's a whole other huge subject, but yeah. still has an impact. But it's true that... um you know, even even for 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 girls it's like when when the when the menstrual periods start, you know, it's like that shift in the body. And again, you know, it's like how the how a girl is introduced or ready or not ready for that. It's like so much then gets programmed there as well, you know. Mm-hmm. But but you were talking about how a father may retract from intimacy, from being just open and spontaneous
2: mm-hmm.
1: with his daughter, at, when when she becomes sexual, and of course, you know that is often taken by the young girl as a rejection of her femininity and of her sexuality.
0: Yes, yes, and that can be, um, yeah, so internalized and confusing. Uh, when there isn't a open conversation or way to address, you know, what's actually happening in the dynamic
1: or a father may go the other way and, and really, you know, make inappropriate comments or, or even inappropriate touch. And, you know, so again, it's like, do I, for the young girl is like, do I show myself as I am? Do I hold back? Do I, do I retreat? out of my feminine? Do I feel shame for my breasts? Do I start to sort of curl my body into to hide my 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 body's sort of flowering in a yes. way?
0: Yeah I'm really struck uh, I have a niece who's a teenager now and, and I'm struck by what you shared of that you know when a society it does is is places places values on the external looks and appearance on women in a way that that women are are feel a pressure to lead with that uh, and objectified and objectified. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The confusion, um, you know, especially in 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 our teen years as to where is my value? What is my value? What am I being valued for?
2: Right.
0: Um Yes, um, yeah. Right. So I'm I'm struck <laughs> once again by the profoundness of that because Aileen, I gotta say, um, you know, so many of the stories I hear uh, when I when I do an intake, the teenage years are always, you know, they they often involve alcohol and peer pressure and, you know, um, unfortunately, a, a breach of boundaries because, as you say, you know, no one teaches. Uh, one, how to identify what their boundaries are, much less advocate and voice, voice them. Right,
1: right. And, you know, so, so few of us learn how to be truly embodied in a, in a way that, really helps us develop a solid identity you know and teens are at the the teen years really bring in the sense of who am i and how do i fit into my peer group and mm-hmm. it's like developing our social capacity it's like the it, it's a it's a second birth of sort it's yes. like first we we're born you know, in, in our physical self, in our family, and then we have to be born socially.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so whatever happened in the early years will be repeated in some way in our social birth. Mm-hmm. And that's why so oftentimes teenage years can be so confusing or or painful or 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 there's a lot of shame or it's like making making one's place in a peer group but with the missing pieces of whatever traumas happen earlier
2: mm-hmm. it's
1: it's a it's very complex particularly if a teen has no no support and no help
0: yeah i was gonna say for those of us who lacked that um Secure presence of our care of our caregivers in the developmental years; those uh, it is a rebirth, it is a a, a rebirthing, but it can easily turn into the primary um, kind of you know sources of attachment for our identity, and um, you know at that age um, it's we become very susceptible to uh, the peer pressure because that becomes our primary family.
1: Exactly. Exactly, yeah. right, right, and you know a lot and this is where uh somatic work and body psychotherapy can be really helpful to a teen to help them find you know reconnect or connect with their bodies in a way that they maybe were not able to as as children, but really, it's not a field that's very developed yet,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you
1: know. And so we, we taught, we have the teens talk about, we do very mental, very word, but the teaching of how, how are you embodied and how have your developmental years brought you to who you are today so that you can develop a healthy identity and choose your partners wisely.
0: Yes, yes. So here we're talking about the real need for um, the restoration and reclamation of one's body's felt self, Mm -hmm. um, felt sense and felt self. And, um, you know, again, I want to refer to, uh, you know, the somatic exercises in in the chapter that you sent me. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like, I mean, there was such a beautiful sequencing of and, you know, I find that, you know, so many of my clients have never done this, essentially take an inventory of their felt sense of their body. It's like a body mapping of understanding mm-hmm. what right. parts of your body um, feel good w- with what kind of stimulation and how to give voice to that. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. In our teenage years, if that was part, if if our sex education... <laughs> involved waking up those touch receptors right as a way of connecting with intimacy right um as a prelude to sexuality right it would go a long way
1: as a preparation right because that is it's like all, all of these years of development are really preparing our bodies to come to this place where sexuality opens and where we're available for this beautiful connection that is intimacy and sexuality
2: mhm mhm right
0: yeah um
1: yeah so i i imagine that's a lot of the work that you do rahi is is helping people through these stages and and helping them reconnect in a way where they can become available to themselves and to their partner.
0: Yes, yes. And that is why the um, approaching the uh, repairing of the rupture sequentially, I find to be very, very valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, Going all the way back to you know, some of my first questions are, you know, what were the circumstances under which you were conceived? Because right. we know that's where it starts. Right. Um, you know, if not before that, but to address those ruptures sequentially within the nervous system. And this is where, you know, this is why I call it, you know, neuro touch of the pelvis or the or the genitalia, because right. it really does. It's the the Repairing the journey of the um, of, of how the nervous system develops organically, you know, repairing those ruptures is very akin to, um, or is very instructive, I should say, of how to repair the ruptures of one's sexual embodiment and relationship with their own sexuality, because they build on each other. Right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. And then we get into, um, you know, I mean, after the, the adolescent stage, when we start dating and getting into sexual relationships, um, I, I feel like, you know, once again, if a lot of those ruptures are not addressed, you know, we bring those patterns into our sexual dynamic and oftentimes, um, it's what's assumed as the norm, um, and you know, of course, we magnetize you know kind of the energy container that can handle where we're at um, mm-hmm. and and then patterns develop within relationships and um, mm-hmm. you know uh, as you mentioned, uh, when there's a mismatch between the um the receptor sets of of our of our body um or. You know, a misalignment of our the needs and our kind of love languages that Mm -hmm. developed. Um, It can it can become a relationship of of avoidance of that. You know, sexual intimacy. Yeah, right,
1: right. Then we 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 come into you know this whole field of attachment styles, and um, you know, some people want like a a very symbiotic connection, you know, energetically, and others are very avoidant, they still want. So So these attachment styles, which are connected to that early development, start to play out in what we look for in our sexual exchanges. Uh
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And just to kind of like finish up the arc, Aileen, um, something I (laughs) want to underscore is, um, you know, I I see a lot of people go through hormonal changes, uh, uh, you know, premenopause, menopause menopause, and postmenopausal and, uh, you know, as well as men with their testosterone. And You know, the body is still touch is so important at any age and always, always, always. I mean, that is our language. I mean, Mm -hmm. as you know, we kind of illustrated from our gestation period on. Right. And the body's
1: uh, language.
0: It is the body's language. Yes. Mm -hmm. And just to just to encourage a uh, continual exploration, because as our bodies change, there's always kind of new terrains to explore in regards to intimacy through touch
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right right and whatever happens you know the this the, uh, in terms of this arc it's like whatever happens in to our, our genitalia it's also important to remember that orgasms are not just the domain of genitalia it's like uh, we each each organ each part of the body is capable of its own orgasmic experience and yes. so, you know and that that's sort of i don't know if that completes the arc but it's important to remember particularly as we get older to cultivate that capacity for the body to open up because really an orgasm is an, is an opening and and a, a, a sharing and a release of deep energy that um, as we continue to develop, it's like part of what happens in older age is that if that is happening, then the body, you know, the, the focus is less on genitalia as a whole as rather than, a whole body experience. Not that genitalia are not having their part of the orgasm, but there's a cultivation of this orgasmic pulsation through all of the organs in the whole body.
0: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I feel like this gets back to the interoceptive and the exteroceptive receptors. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's almost like, Um, yeah, as infants, you know, I think we are, I think we're extremely whole body orgasmic, not sexually, but in the joy and energy that we feel. Yes. And that this can be the case at any age when, again, that um, focused attention and intention and that unconditional presence is brought to the exquisite touch that all, are all
1: the parts of the body. So to come back, it's like when all the parts are touched, they either and you know continue that whole body orgasm kind of feeling, or we have to cultivate that so that our bodies remain alive. Mm-hmm. And I I see it very much, you know, as we get older, and you can see it in older people. It's almost like their color changes; the body becomes kind of grayish, which is really a signal that that pulsation, that orgasmic capacity, that life force is pulling out has not been encouraged to really move through the whole body.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And
1: we call we call that aging, but I don't think it needs to be that way.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so really an encouragement to speak our, to keep our primary language of touch front and center,
2: right.
0: uh, you know, in our self touch, as well as our partner and community touch. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. Aileen, um, before we wrap up, I, 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 there are five or six somatic exercises in that chapter. Um, is mm-hmm. that chapter available to the public?
1: Yes, of course i 'd love to make it available yeah.
0: um, because they're so simple but they're so profound and i f- mm-hmm. I find that in the restoration and reclamation of sexual wellness arousal our our natural um, uh, stimulation responses it yeah. it calls for those kinds of kind of guided practices to restore and awaken um, yeah, those responses. Um, But for our uh, listeners who are listening and not, uh, you know, going to the website, is there a somatic contemplation or a somatic practice that you feel could really or nourish their sexual embodiment?
1: As you sit and breathe, you notice a place where you are breathing. Like, if I breathe, I can feel okay, my belly rises and falls. So I would put one hand on the place where I do feel my breath. And then as I take a few more breaths and notice that, then I would ask myself, is there a place in my body where I don't feel I'm breathing? And and I could feel it like, let's say here in my shoulder. So then I keep one hand on the area where I am breathing and one area where I'm not feeling that I'm breathing. Mm. And then I I connect both and just breathe. And what happens is that the part that isn't breathing learns from the part that is. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you could do it, you know, from on my heart, I can feel I'm breathing here and I could put a, a hand over my genitals. And so that there's, because In terms of restoration, the body pulsates and opens with our breath. Mm -hmm. So we want to bring our breath to every part of the body. So connecting with a part where we feel breath and a part where we don't feel the breath and holding both together, Mm -hmm. then the part that didn't feel the breath is going to learn. Mm -hmm. And then there's a sense of, oh, it opens up. And you can keep doing that through Mm -hmm. your whole body.
0: Yes. That's wonderful, um, right. Aileen. Uh, thank you, thank you for who you are, your body of work, and for sharing your light uh, on the planet. And um, uh, if people want to find you, uh, they can go to the touchcom Right. And currently, um, neuroeffective touch is being offered uh, virtually uh, all over the world. Is that is that correct?
1: Right. Right. Yes. And we we are starting a training, and it's mostly for professionals, whether you're a body worker, anyone interested in really bringing more awareness to the body, and it's through touch. It's amazing how well the touch can be taught online. Mm. And so what, what I'm doing is we're doing most of the theory and self-practice and that online. And as soon as it's safe, then we will do in-person touch masterclasses. But um, there's a training starting in January mm. and um, for the US. There's also one starting for Australia, and there will be an Oslo training for Europe as mm. well. All are on the website starting um, beginning 2021.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, great. Thanks for being with us today, Aileen. It's great well, to see you. Thank
1: us. you. It's always such a pleasure to have conversations with you, Rahi.
0: Notice how this exploration with Aileen is landing in your body, and whether your body may be inviting a deeper exploration of any stories it may be ready and wanting to share with you. In the next episode, with Mike Lusada, we explore the safety necessary and the process for repairing childhood ruptures somatically, and how they're usually at the root of our adult sexual patterns, behaviors, and experiences. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe, share with your tribe, or leave a review. You can also download the free organic sexuality ebook at organicsexualitypodcast.com. Until next time, take care.